to the Art Problems Podcast, episode 16. I'm your host, Patty Johnson. This is the podcast where we talk about how to get more shows, grants, and residencies. I'm going to begin this podcast by talking about what I did last week, which was I published an art problems column on hyperallergic about how to get more public art commissions or how to get them in the first place. And this week on the art problems podcast, I'm going to talk about all the material that I didn't have the space to go into there. It's going to be a little bit more tactical because I think that's the audience that you are. So hopefully we can give you a lot of really good tips. Now, for those who missed the column, I spoke to art experts around the country on tips and tricks on how to get commissions. Parag Vartanian, the editor and chief of Hyperallergic and the co-founder and I decided that this would be a good topic because we noticed that the process can seem really opaque to many artists. Also, in my experience, many artists don't pursue public projects because they think that their work isn't well suited to public spaces. And that may be, but the fact of the matter is, is that there's a lot more that can be adapted or you can come up with ideas that maybe don't have that much to do with what you're currently making, but still are relevant to your practice and you can get paid for it. And that is the way to not miss out on opportunities because public commissions are a really great way of, of getting those commissions. So or, or just getting paid. So this could be a space for you too. You just need an idea and the means to create a good application. And that's really what this podcast is designed to help you do. Now, for the sake of ease, I'm going to condense the tips that I gave on a hyperallergic into a list of five main points. Now, the first one is that art commissions is a growing industry. And so there are places that you can use to research where to find these opportunities. And CodaWorks is one of the best ways to do that. So they are basically like LinkedIn for creatives. And you can like email people that you'd like to work with. And according to Sally Krauss, the director of member services at CodaWorks, they'll actually write back. I still have problems wrapping my head around this. Like it's a very different concept than Instagram where you DM people and you have no idea if they're going to write back. But it is an environment where people have common cause, right? Like they have interior designers, they have, uh, so it's not just public art, but they have all kinds of consultants there that are really looking for artists. So it's a good database to be part of. Now, The first thing that I think is worth asking before we really get into some of this nitty gritty is why art commissions is a growing industry. Like, why is there so much opportunity in this field to begin with? This is something I didn't necessarily know when I started out this process, but pretty much everybody I talked to did say that they thought there was more opportunity than there was 10 years ago. Nobody I spoke to had a clear answer to the question for why. But if I were to speculate, I would say that it is almost certainly connected to real estate. So there's a lot of development going on around the United States. And because of that, there are new spaces that need new art. This is particularly true in the West, 
where fabrication costs are also a little lower than on the East Coast, where there's a lot more developed and real estate is very expensive. If you look at a city like Denver, for example, like the city has been in a state of transformation basically since the late 90s. And that development got supercharged uh, with the legalization of marijuana. And there's just a lot of public art opportunities there. So I think that's just like the relevant cultural context that I always like to kind of tease out here before we really dive into uh, all the tactical stuff. Now, there are two main ways. This is the second point uh, for, for the summation of what was in the Hyperallergic article. But there are two main ways of getting a commission. The first is a public process, meaning you're applying for a commission. You're applying for an open call. So a curatorial organization has a much more curatorial approach, which means you're relying on social networks. So an example of a public process where you're applying for an open call might be um, applying for, or you know, you know, you're just applying on a database. You could be applying for the percent for our program in New York, right? So you're putting your name in a database, and they they select people out for uh, possible candidates for the commissions that they have. That's a public process. A curatorial organization is a little bit different. It might, an example of that might be more like Black Cube, right? So they have a curator and the curator will go and do research and come up with people through studio visits and social networks and things like that. So it's different. Now, for the public process, you need to shift your mindset and be super specific about what you want to do why you want to do it, how you're going to do it. Now, I would argue that you need this no matter what you're doing. Uh, and I'm going to talk about this a little bit more because I really can't emphasize enough how important this is. But Rebecca Rothman, who is the an artist and the uh, public art manager for the city of Tempe, told me that it's not like applying for a grant. It's really like you're applying for a job. And that was something that I hadn't considered before and I thought was a really good distinction. And we'll get into the ways that that sort of plays out. Now, the fourth point is that if you are applying for a public commission, you need to demonstrate that you can do the job. So you want to show who you'll be working with to get the job done. And if you're new, like if you haven't done a commission before, you know, those uh, partners with experience will be a really big deal because, you know, they want to see that you can do this. And this advice came from Thomas Evans, who goes by Detour on Instagram, who worked with Mary Valdez, who is a like consultant for artists and used to work in the field of, of commissioning art uh, to secure his commission at the Denver airport. So he's currently working on that. And the last point is that you can get a lot of experience doing artwork on somebody else's dime. So that's one of the reasons that doing projects like public art projects can be really fun and rewarding and you can really develop your practice. Somebody else is paying for it. It's not you subsidizing the studio practice. 
So that's the overview. Let's dig in. Now, because I spoke with experts for this particular article, I didn't include my own experience as a public panelist. So I wanted to give you that perspective first. Now, I've been on the Percent for Art Program Selection Committee a couple of times. So I wanted to review some of the mistakes that happen a lot and that get artists eliminated so that you can avoid them. Plus a couple of tips that you need, you need to have so that you can get the experience you need. So this is the tactical end of things. So let's dive in. So first, first thing you need to know is that you don't always need to live in the city that has the public art program. So for example, the New York City Percent for Art program chooses artists to work with that don't, they don't all live in New York City. It's not a requirement. And that's a big deal because I know there are a lot of artists that I speak to who want New York experience. This is a really good way to get that. A public art commission in the city of New York will help that. Now, the other thing to know uh, about the selection process is that two art experts are invited to sit on a panel of about eight other professionals. So often the other professionals don't have anything to do with art. And sometimes they also have like zero interest in it. And you wouldn't think it, but that can be a good thing. So people encountering art in a museum choose to see the art. People encountering art in the public don't like, they may not give a shit about it. They may not like they haven't chosen to look at that art and you kind of need that view represented on a panel to lesser and greater degree, but you do need to keep that in mind. I I will say that the panels are a lot less fun when nobody cares about the art. (laughs) So (laughs) there is that. Now, There's a two-part process in this election, and the first is a pretty quick review of about 40 candidates for a location, you know, whatever that location is, and that those 40 candidates are selected by the staff at the the Percent for Art program from the database. There's a lot of artists that I've reviewed whose work isn't all that developed, so my feeling is, is that even if you have an inkling that you might want to do a public commission, you should put your name in the database because the work will get reviewed eventually. I think the thing is, is that you may not necessarily know that it has been reviewed, but you're putting your name in the hat and that's the first step for anything. Now, there are also some pretty high profile artists in the database. And I wanted to give you the skinny with that because just sort of knowing the process, uh, I think can be helpful whether or not there's anything you can do about that. Now, the high profile artists, to be fair, they often do pretty well in the review process. And part of that is because, you know, they they make a lot of art and they can select art that's well suited to commissions as examples because that's what they're doing full time. And the art panelists are also more likely to know their names. There's only two art specialists per panel. So, you know, keep that in mind. But I I have always felt that I my voice had a fair bit of weight on that panel. Now, the problem uh, with a high-profile artist is that they often don't have that much time. Like, they're completely booked. Their studio is maxed out. So 
we're supposed to select based on whether we think they can do the best job, regardless of their availability. But they often turn down the opportunity to advance to the next round. And you can end up with candidates that you might not have selected if you'd known in advance that your first pick wasn't going to be available. Now, as an artist, you don't have any control over that backroom stuff. But like the panelists who are participate in these panels often, they, they often know this can be a problem and try to do things to advocate for artists that will actually be able to do the project, which knowing the process is not always the most high profile artist. So if you've got a great body of work, this is the big thing. If you've got a great body of work, you'll be just as competitive as those larger artists, if not more. The big thing is to simply make sure that your art is listed in the database where you potentially want to produce the work, right? So now you have to be as specific as possible with the proposal. If someone doesn't know what you're doing and why, it won't get funded. This is the most frequent thing that I heard in pretty much like everybody I talk to with the hyperallergic piece. And it's just the biggest thing. So for the Percent for Art panel, we select eight candidates to develop proposals. And I think there's a fee for that. So you do get paid for that work. And then we're considering the proposals. So the most frequent problem that I've seen with artists at this stage, once they get to the finalist stage, is they don't fully consider the environment. If you're making work for, let's say, a middle school, you have to ask yourself questions like, is this going to be the kind of work that a 13-year-old is going to like? Or is it going to be a place where kids stick their gum, right? I was on a panel involving a school that was very family-oriented, and an artist proposed an installation with a bunch of quotes that had no relationship to the school or its character. It was a really cool-looking project, It would have looked really nice, but nobody wanted it, right? So you also have to ask questions like, what's the upkeep involved? Literally every panel I've been involved with, somebody has been eliminated because there was the concern that the upkeep would be too great. If you can't clean the piece with ease, or rather if the piece needs cleaning at all, your project is going to be less desirable than somebody else's. Another thing that's a big deal is pictures of what it will look like are essential. So the more detail, the better. I've been on panels where people were eliminated because it wasn't clear where the work would be placed. I've been on panels where artists proposed working with the community to collect materials for their work, but then didn't provide any details on how that would happen. And then they were eliminated for that. So Again, that goes back to the idea of just being really, really specific about what you want to do. It's going to be good for you, too, to know this because it gets you really excited about the project. And if you don't get that one grant, you'll find, and again, it's not a grant. If you don't get that one commission, you'll find another way to do it. So one of the great jewels that I got from speaking with Rebecca Rothman is what kind of language artists could use that would get them eliminated. 
So she used the example of using dialogue instead of uh, conversation, which may not be intelligible to an art expert. So for example, my art will dialogue with the community at large. That's going to mean nothing to a regular person. Like if you say that you want your work to communicate in, in some way, and you'd want to be really specific about how it would communicate with the, the, with the community, that's going to mean something more to a non-specialist. Dialogue with is specialist language. Now, also, she talked about submissions where you talk about your inspirations, like specific artists, architecture. That's good for the fine art world. But if your panelist is a dentist, they don't necessarily care. I mean, I'm just using dentists as an example, but you get the idea. Also, submissions where you talk about your experience installing in museums. They're not relevant to a public art committee. We talked about this a little bit earlier, but installing in a controlled environment is really different than installing in a public space where people don't necessarily care about the art or have even asked to see it. So that's a big thing to just be considering. Considering all of these different elements, all of that is going to give you an edge, but there are also sort of specific things you can do aside from avoiding the mistakes that will give you an edge. And Thomas Evans, he talked about how he applied locally at first. He's considering Denver local, not to the international competitions. And he said he did that really purposefully, that there was less competition and therefore he had a greater chance at getting the award. And I felt like this was really meaningful because Thomas Evans, he works as a muralist. He has like close to 100K followers on Instagram. He's really well known and he's really well known as like a public figure who makes fairly dem like democratic art. You know, it's very pleasing to a regular person. And even still, even with that, he's well known, even with all of that things, he's still thinking strategically about how to get contracts, right? So you know that if he is thinking like he may not be super appealing, even with all of his following, because he doesn't have experience that you need to consider that too. So the project that he's doing for the Denver airport will involve hanging a loop of conjoined suitcases painted in a rainbow gradient. And that's about $450,000. And he needs to manage that over the next three years. So that's considered a mid-level project. And once he's done that successfully, he's talking about applying for larger projects in the one to $2 million range. So he can scale his business. So I feel like this is a term that people don't necessarily <laughs> like to hear. <laughs> but when you want to grow your career and build your visibility, you're talking about scaling. That's what it is. So there are very large projects too. You know, there are projects in the $10 million range. Ones like the artists who tend to get those types of commissions are artists like Hank Willis Thomas. They can take up to 10 years. Uh, you know, it's also worth mentioning that some of these projects start out 
and then get crushed for like killed for whatever reason, you know, the money disappears or something like that. So that's just, you know, I, I feel like it's worth mentioning that the field is a little bit, I don't want to say unstable, but like there's an unreliability. It can be, it can be difficult. Now, if you're just starting out, there are cities that take a training approach. So Evan mentioned that in Aurora, Colorado, they have a call for artists who have not done those sorts of projects. So you learn along the way. And a big part of, you know, getting started is just doing the research and applying for calls. Even the more successful artists have to apply for more projects than they are awarded. It's just part of business. And in this world, you know, things get canceled, like I said. So you have to take into consideration that you're going to see a lot more no's than yeses. And that's not a statement about you. It's simply like applying to any job. Most jobs that you apply to are going to have a lot of applicants. Your job is to make sure that you're at the top of that pile. So it's not any different than looking for a job. So that's all for today. I'm going to be back in two weeks with a special surprise guest. I'm not going to say who it is yet because I'm just running it up, but I think you are really going to like this one. So tune in. Thank you for listening. If you like the show, please leave a review and share it with a friend. It really helps get that valuable information out to more artists just like you. You can find all of the names and the links that we reference in this conversation at workshop.art slash podcast.